Welcome to the Engineering Career Conversations. I'm Krista Downey, Director of the Engineering Career Center at Cornell University. And I'm Tracy Nathans-Kelly, Director of the Engineering Communications Program. We are excited to bring you this forum where we will host lively conversations that we hope will inspire you. We had the chance to catch up with Allie Gaines, a Cornelian who completed her undergraduate degree in 2014 from ISST. With her many interests, she works on issues of food, food production, data analysis, epidemiology, the health of the planet, sustainability, and more. Since leaving Cornell, she's gone on to do incredible work across several disciplines. And on the day we spoke, she was getting ready to defend her PhD in a couple weeks. She's working full-time right now in consulting. Listen in as we can learn so much from Allie. Thank you for being here. Hi, Allie. It's good to have you here today. Hi, Krista. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to share your story, and I'm hoping you can start by telling us a bit about your path. How did you get here? Maybe some of your degrees along the way, as well as your current work and your most uh, recent work before that, because I know you're in a new position. I graduated Cornell in 2014, and I was in the information science systems and technology major. So right after school, I started at um, Athena Health, which is an electronic medical record company in Boston. I'd always had an interest in healthcare, but I hadn't really explored it. So I was really excited to do that in my first job. Um, so on that team, I worked on data interoperability. I had a pretty technical role. And after a few years, I realized that even though I could understand the technical side and was prepared for all of that from all of my uh, studies at Cornell, I really liked working on the like healthcare clinical solution side. So I was put on a project that had to do with um, cancer registries and making sure we sent all of our medical record data to uh, government cancer registries. And I just thought I was seeing how we could, we were tracking and we get those statistics that you see on the news. Um, and I was like, this is something I feel like you can really do a lot with the information and, and really use data um, or healthcare data to make a big difference. If we see what's the prevalence of diseases, what can we do about that? What kind of, what is like common about the people who are being diagnosed with these things? So I did then spend a year doing consulting where I was getting a bit more of the supplied um, experience. And then after that, I went to on to do my master's um, in global health and epidemiology. And I was at the University of Oxford, which was an awesome experience to get to go overseas. I always like to say you get to dress as Harry Potter when you when you take your exams, which is the wildest thing. But it was really, really fun um, to go over there. So yeah, so I did my my master's in epidemiology, and I and I actually got to focus more in in healthcare and um, and learning about how da- people's habits and their both in I guess both their daily habits, what their community is like, um, and also their nutrition affects diseases. And this all led to, you know, it could, we looked a lot at different cancers and different disease patterns. That was where I got to learn more about this one specific path. And then um, 
from there, I actually then never thought I would do this, but I got the opportunity to do my PhD. And this was also in epidemiology. And again, now I focused even more on on nutrition and epidemiology. And then even, which is very appropriate with a lot of the conversation that's happening today in the world, it also focused on um, climate change and how nutrition and the food that we're eating not only affects our public health outcomes, but also affects our planet. That, that was my last four years up until October. I was, was doing this work, which was creating a, a method to calculate the greenhouse gas emissions to do with packaged foods, which was really something that was, I think, really, really interesting and really applicable. We've all seen, I mean, we all know how much we go and grab a packaged snack and where they're everywhere. They're they're everywhere from hospitals to to schools and just to wherever you're hanging out at the mall. And that has a big impact on both our health and, and the planet. So that was a really cool experience. And I got so far in the, in the PhD that we got to um, create a potential label for foods. And we pitched that to the Australian government. So this is something we don't see a lot in the US and has been something that's really cool for me that I've gotten to to explore since I did a lot of my work outside of the U.S., where we have, a, or where some countries have a little less, let's just say, red tape in, in getting this this kind of stuff done. There's potential that we could use that food label so that not only can industry and different companies see how their products compare, but also consumers can hopefully see what are better choices, not only for their health, but for the environment. That's all my educational background. And in then in the last month, I've gone back to, to full-time work. I am working at a company called Exponential Data as a product manager in healthcare and business strategy. And this has a really cool company that sort of brings together a lot of my background. It's specializing in machine learning and AI technology solutions to provide industry-leading products and data products in the healthcare industry, or at least that's where I'll be working. So we'll be looking even more at how we can use data that already exists in companies, in healthcare companies. So whether that's pharmaceutical companies or electronic medical records and how we can improve upon the data they already have and build knowledge networks and knowledge graphs to help create solutions and for helping in promoting them for better lives and better cures for for patients and and whatever their outcomes are. That sounds really amazing. So in your current position, you're trying to untangle or weave a new web of some sort, right? Of all of these different kinds of inputs. So what does that mean for you day to day? Like, what is your, what does it look like for you? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the exciting thing for me of getting to, to have this change for my PhD, as cool as an, as an experience that the PhD was, you know, I worked on one thing really, really in the weeds for a long time, um, which I'm so proud of. But now in my day to day, you know, we have multiple projects going on. So I sort of listed a few of them but I can go into a little more detail, but we have pharmaceutical companies so we can see how different drugs are performing on different populations and compare drug information. And also one really cool thing that I think we're doing is looking at comorbidities and also, so that's when you have two diseases at the same time, how commonly people are being prescribed two of the same drugs so that we can get a better understanding of of what kinds of issues are 
are working together and how we can get ahead of that. And then also where I find things to be a bit more interesting is on the the clinical patient data side. So you get to learn more about before the outcomes. So it's what are the demographics of these people? What is more of of the patient journey and like what's in common between these people. And and that, you know, that's where my original interests lie with, with respect to nutrition. I think that's a really key part of, of where we're at today with some of the public health issues we deal with. So day to day, it's looking at the data that we have from these companies, how their structures are, or seeing how efficient they're currently working so that they can combine the types of data that they have. You know, one thing in in the healthcare data world is there's a lot of siloing of data. So we get to see, or, you know, we have these patient, we have all these electronic medical records now, and we have patient data, and then we have outcomes data, but being able to look at it together and link up different systems is still something that, you know, we're not doing that well across the board. So that's a lot of what we get to look at is seeing all these different pathways. And then we're trying to optimize how we can combine and, and improve the way we analyze these, the data that was already exists. I'm just sitting here thinking about all of these elements and I'm glad there's <laughs> people like you doing it. <laughs> I'm not yeah. even sure my head can hold all the wonderful things that you're trying to accomplish here. So I really <laughs> appreciate that explanation so much, so much. Yeah. I agree with Tracy. I'm also thinking about you were an information science student here at Cornell, and that's a major that opens people up to you can work in any industry and yeah, you know, right. And so you have this skill set that you can take and apply to any interest area, which can be exciting. It can also be overwhelming sometimes if you know your skill set is applicable in so many different places, but you don't know where you want to focus. And somewhere along the way, you got on this path with human health and nutrition. Is that something that's always been an area of strong interest for you? Is that something you developed along the way? Tell us more about that. So it is something that's always been an interest of mine. Um, it really comes from, you know, personal experience with food and just with health. I mean, I think I mean, I'll just go back into the food industry, but the food like that we eat now is, you know, it doesn't really look like the food that our grandparents and people before us ate. And it really aligns with, I mean, you can, the trajectories of, you know, obesity and also different types of cancer and heart disease, unfortunately, you know, I'll just tell my story. It's a little embarrassing, but you know, I was a kid that I was a bit on the chubbier side and my parents were both working and we ate a lot of fast food. We ate out a lot. I thought diet Coke was a normal part of my diet. And I did, I think it's important to note that a lot of people don't connect what healthy food don't connect what healthy food is because there's just so much out there so yeah for me it was always a personal interest and as I got deeper into it and into just general public health um, one thing that was really cool and what I really liked and it's sort of been a pattern throughout my career is I do have this interest in nutrition and and specifically healthcare. But I, to your point, I mean, it can be 
I, not everyone knows exactly what they want to do. And I think it's important to know that you don't have to know what you want to do. And like, if you have interests and you have the opportunity to explore them, I think that's amazing. With even where I am now, I mean, I went, I, I was always interested in healthcare. So my first job I took in a healthcare position. Coming out of ISST, to your point, I had an offer in, I was also in a very lucky time where there are a lot of job offers. I know that changes throughout the years, but I um, was looking at this where I was, Athena Health, electro, uh, electronic medical record company. I was also looking at a job at Citibank and then also consulting firms, which obviously span or often span a number of, of industries. And I had that interest in healthcare. So I started there, but then I did go to consulting for a year and I got to work on finance projects and other things, which I think is also important. And, and what I've learned is sometimes I need change just throughout time and want to expand and learn different things. So again, obviously I, I do, I, I'll always hold nutrition at my heart of what I, what I'm most interested in and passionate about. After doing my PhD, I was act, I was ready again to, with the focus in healthcare and that's what my company focuses on, but we do span other industries because all of those data issues that I mentioned, they're not really strictly for uh, or specific to to the healthcare industry. You know, better communication and interoperability in, in all spaces really could probably do a lot of good. Yeah. So I, I'm back in a, in a company where, yeah, I'll have this healthcare focus and and I'm really lucky to be in a position where we're growing the company and I'm an integral part to that. So I'm going to hopefully pave a path to do, you know, a more patient work and even actually some environmental work and combining the two. But we also have energy projects and finance projects. So and it, it really is nice to, to get that breadth as well. So even for me, where I do have this special interest, I just I think it's it's worth also noting that it's nice to learn about other things as well. <laughs> and what it's what keeps us yeah. going, right? Oh, there's a new thing over there. Let me go look, yeah. right? Like that's what we do whether whether we're humans or crows, right? We all like the new shiny things to look at a little bit. <laughs> and so we go look at them. So we asked this of of all the people that we interview and I know you wanted to talk about STEM in particular. But tell us, I mean, you've kind of already explained some of this, but how your work, as you see it today, contributes to a more equitable world, sustainable world. I mean, I, I think in a lot of different ways, the different um, paths I've taken to get here have, have contributed to different parts of that. Obviously, specifically with respect to to public health and um, and helping to mitigate the diseases that we see today, my epidemiology research has contributed to that. Hopefully more with the the company I'm at now, Exponential, we're working on data solutions for those things. And I also feel like being a woman in STEM has been something that I also want to emphasize, you know, we're a small but, but mighty group. And I think it's important that even though we're still a small group and it's been so many years, of us wanting to continue to grow, that we should share our experiences and help nurture other women in STEM because we do belong here and we should be confident in that and sharing our unique perspectives and and ways of thinking. I think I want to make sure I continue to foster that kind of environment too because I think it's really important. You you spoke to us earlier before <laughs> we started our talk today about your PhD 
uh, emphasizing a lot of that work with climate crisis and stuff. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, through all of my learning about nutrition and, and the public health impacts of that, I also dug into learning about the climate impacts of the food system. So some things that I really didn't know before even starting my PhD in this is that the food system is second to the energy industry in contributing global greenhouse gas emissions that are human caused. And this attributes to about 30% of um, greenhouse gas emissions today, again, that are human caused or anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions. So the food system is integral in making a change to, to climate change. And what I was so excited is, well, not excited to learn that. It's a horrible fact to know. But one the one thing that's really cool to me and sort of aligns with what I was saying before is there's co-benefits to learning more about the, the food system and making sure it's healthier and better for both people and the environment. And it's not an easy thing. None of these things are. Otherwise, you know, I'm sure it would be done. But I think it's really important that we can start or that we start to make those changes and start to spread that knowledge of what is healthier for both people and the planet. That was the main concept of the crux of my my PhD. And from there, like I mentioned, I worked on the packaged food and beverage supply, which led to a whole other interesting thing for me. The first part of my PhD was to look at all of the ingredients that are in the packaged food and beverage supply. Because I'm sure you might have seen on different news articles, but there's always talk about when you talk about climate change and diet, there's talk about meat and that meat has the highest um, greenhouse gas emissions impact. And also there's a lot of land use change attributed with the growing of meat because of how much, or the production of meat because of how much uh, land we need for cattle grazing and and creating the like like slaughterhouses and other places that you know are required in that supply chain so ingredients are based on my research are the main part of of what is contributing to greenhouse gas emissions within packaged foods and beverages so even I mean obviously a lot of people talk about packaging and they talk about the transport of foods which are important, but they're actually much less important um, than the ingredients themselves. While this is like true of meat, we have to actually look at the emissions that are associated with all ingredients across the food supply. Meat is just one part of it, and it is a very big part of it, but um, there's more that's important to consider. So anyway, so the first step was to look at all these ingredients, and what I found was that there were over 30,000 um, unique ingredients listed on food packaged foods and beverages, a lot of these being additives and and other types of, you know, hydrate hydrogenated and isolates and and processed ingredients. So that became a really key component of my my PhD, which was looking at what is making up the food supply today. And then from there we went on and looked at how much processing contributes to emissions as well. And also, and then obviously considered packaging and, and transport as well. But the ingredients were really the key part. So after looking at all of the ingredients in the food supply, we then built on that. So we looked at each ingredient, weighted each ingredient in each product, and were able to do a product-specific assessment of greenhouse gas emissions that was based on ingredients and, like I said, incorporated other factors as well. And 
what I really loved about my PhD was that not only did I get to do all of this research, um, incorporate my experience and my knowledge of um, big data sets and data modeling um, and analytics, but I also got to have a, a business and a policy side to it as well, where I was developing or working on developing a label mm-hmm. with a team that we could then use to inform consumers and and industry and policymakers, which is where I think it was really a unique experience to get to have that impact out of my PhD. And then, of course, it's going to be exciting to continue to build off of this as I restart my career at this startup where we're going to be building on top of these types of solutions and data-driven solutions. So I'm, I'm excited to, to round that out and, and continue on. Excellent. You're working on this big mission with health and the environment. And who are the key collaborators toward this broader vision? I mean, there's, I think there's, there's academics, there's industry, and there's policy. Actually, this is an opportune time to talk about it. Right now, there's COP28 that's happening. That's, you know, that's the coming together of of the parties that need to be involved. I was really lucky to be working with the George Institute for Global Health throughout my PhD. They're based in Australia, but they're a global health research institute that focuses in all different aspects of global health. And um, they partner with a number of different academic institutes, but uh, operate as an NGO and are able to to really dig into the global issues happening and have a really big um, food policy center. So they have representatives at COP28 this year that I got to work closely with who are working in the the first ever like food summit that COP28 is having. So it's their first time having food as a headlining topic. So yeah, so that's a really big, or academics are a really big part of this in bringing the data um, to life. But then of course, and what what we're doing at COP28 is bringing that into the light of, of different governments around the world because creating policy and making changes where it's from the top down is, is I really think where we're going to have a big difference. I, of course, love the grassroots efforts as well. I think it's important that we get as much information as we can to people, but I do think the change we need at the speed we need it, it will be coming from, from the top down. So um, industry will be the hardest part of that because obviously affects their margins and the products they're producing and it has the biggest like financial effect on them. You know, I think some companies are starting to get there. And as we, you know, offer insights with different solutions, I think that will be that will be the the start of the the future. One example we I talked briefly about like the meat industry. I don't think abolishing the meat industry or telling people they can't ever eat meat is the answer. But I think changing the way that meat is produced today and how prevalent it is it's in a lot of different products and how easily accessible it is it probably isn't the way of the future. I think eating meat in, in moderation without having the, yeah, the industry having so much waste, optimizing their techniques of what they're doing, um, and pro- which probably means having fewer cattle, but also less waste. And I think we could make a big difference in that way. So anyway, those I think are the three big players. 
it's just figuring out how we can best get everyone to work together, which is the hard part. The engineering is easy, but the people are difficult, right? That's a, that's my going mantra all the time. <laughs> when the past oh, engineers I, I worked with told me that he was at NASA, and I'm like, yeah, yeah that's true. Um, you mentioned earlier LLMs, the large language models, and some uh, intersections that your work has had even with AI. Can you walk us through what that looks like for you right now? Like, what are your thoughts or predictions or best case uses for AI or LLMs? Yeah. A lot of our projects are how do we take this company, you know, that has been running this way for 30 years and get them into the 21st century of of technology to be able to learn from the data that they already have. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think to your, your actual question is where do I, how do I think this will be used? I mean, I think it, one, getting companies and getting data sets that we already have into these new networks and ways of, of being able to analyze the data or being able to restore the data is like one big thing. So when we've been looking at, I guess, specifically with patient data, with everything being in structured SQL, it's been, how do we rearrange that so that we can look at you know, time series of data and and knowledge networks so that it's not just linking A to B, but it can be linking all, you know, in many different directions. There's just a huge amount of opportunity and a huge amount of need for people with this kind of expertise. At Exponential, my current company, we have lots of people who are going to help me do that. Um, and that I, I was just talking to somebody and I was like, I'm going to need to learn from you about keeping up to date with what, what the capabilities are today because it really isn't my expertise. But what I can say is I also just think that's important. We need different minds. A lot of the people that have, you know, AI minds and how we can get the data and into that format might need more help on, on the business side and how we can then apply it to what we need to do. So it's working together to be able to to use that te- the technologies that are available and and what we need and the the business impact side and business strategy side to be able to to get to where we need to go. Well, so we're going to make a jump now. <laughs> Great. We're, we we just asked you to like swim around in the super present <laughs> moment, right? But um, we're going to ask you to try to think back now to when you were a sophomore. So that's the year that you decide what your major is going to be. Right. And so that's why we ask about sophomore year. What did you think you wanted Mm -hmm. to do back then? Can you remember? (laughs) So sort of before the nutrition thing really got to be my interest, I was really interested in biomechanics. So I started my college career being like, I'm going to do mechanical engineering, do a like sub focus in biomechanics And I also thought you needed to know, and I already sort of, that's a little theme here that I don't think you need to know um, and that you can keep changing. And I think it's important to do that if that's what you're drawn to and not be afraid to, to change what, what you're doing, um, even though it is difficult to, to do that. Yeah. So I thought I was going to do that. I did start out in mechanics. I got through or in, in mechanical engineering, got through to thermodynamics, was like starting to build a lamp. And I was like, you know what? I don't think this is my direction. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was, I don't know if it is anymore, but that was like the big Mechie project was like building a light. 
ISST in computer science was sort of new, even when I was going through it. And so Mm -hmm. I think I was drawn to that. And ISST had the big web development um, aspect to it. And also staying on theme again, it had a it had a little more flexibility in the things I could try out um, in that major as opposed to in the mechanical engineering major, which for me was something I needed. I was I had the ability with information science to go abroad. And I actually, one thing that I thought was sort of cool, I don't know why I do everything the hard way, but I uh, was the first to go on my study abroad program to Budapest. So I had to apply and, and get it approved instead of just going to a pre-approved place. But it was awesome. I highly recommend going to Budapest or, or somewhere abroad if you can. So anyway, that's how I landed with ISST. And I think, I mean, it was a really amazing experience for me. I think it's important for people who are sophomores to know that it's okay to try things out and to change things up and and just figure out what's right for you and and don't be afraid to do it it is it definitely can be hard um to make a change whether that's in your major or later on in your career but it's super rewarding to get that experience and um to come out of it you know being improving yourself improving your knowledge improving your network so along those lines What class or classes had the greatest impact in preparing you for your career? I mean, a number of them. As you've seen, I've or as you've heard, I've hopped around quite a bit. So I feel like different at different times, different types of classes have really helped me in different ways. Or there's two that really stick in my mind, and I guess they were from later. I think from junior and senior year. First was my first web development class because I got you got to go and find your own client. Um, and build a website for them. That was essentially the class. <laughs> My two peers and I, we chose, I, I also don't know if this is still around, but now it's just getting to Cornell history. We chose the chips on a stick guy who was on College Ave because a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, he like used to slice up a potato. It was like a late night food truck, get a potato all sliced up and curled. It was really good. Um, but a lot of a lot of people were doing yeah. um, departments at within the engineering school and doing their websites, which is obviously a great thing to do. But for me, it was a really cool experience to get to use my creativity, go out of the box, and um, but also do something that was applied. And you had, you know, we were trying to help him get his first website going and and use new tools that he'd never used before and set up a billing system online and set up, you know, database structures of things that could help him potentially grow his business. So it was for me getting to link together data and business, which was really, was really exciting. And I guess for me, yeah, links, they all sort of link with being outside of the box. But my other one was my, one of my final senior year classes was um, the computer game design class, where the final exam is getting teachers and and their kids and colleagues to come in and play your game. And it essentially got to, got rated based on whether it was fun to play. My kid was, was there. That was just really fun. <laughs> you know, I think, I think all of the other classes are so important. The ways you learn to problem solve in, this, in the School of Engineering is second to none. I think it's taught me so much in, in figuring out data problems, but also data problems, but also figuring out problems when just without any or within any type of 
job, whether it's talking to people and, you know, if you work with somebody in one way, you have to, and it doesn't work in the best way, figuring out another way to work. I think going through engineering teaches you that, that there's no one um, solution to every problem and it teaches you how to to figure out multiple ways to get to the right solution. It's like showing your work and, and doing things in different ways. As long as you get to the to the end, it doesn't matter exactly how you got there. I think that's really what's helped me throughout my career and, and has been really amazing build or building blocks for me. With all these complicated intersections that you're working with right now, where do you go to stay current? You mentioned you rely on the expertise of some of your colleagues. What are some other places that you look for? Tech income? and AI, I go to other people. <laughs> I'm not the person. But, um, you know, there there's one person that I've really been loving to follow. Um, it's, uh, again, at the intersection of food, health, and, and policy. So it's Marion Nestle. She writes, um, she's written a couple of books. Um, and she has a daily newsletter that's called Food Politics that I just absolutely love. It bridges a lot of things. Yeah, so it's just insightful with global topics, with local topics. Um, it talks about um, acad- academia. It talks about industry and farmers and and also just public health outcomes. And the fun fact is that she's a visiting professor at uh, the nutrition sciences or in nutrition sciences at Cornell too. So she's one of us. But yeah, I think she's just super interesting and super inspiring. <laughs> one thing I really like about her is she isn't afraid to stand up in or against industry. So, you know, if they're making claims on you know the healthiness or different impacts of foods she likes to call that out and one other other thing she's done recently that I has been something I've I've been really into at the moment and I think everyone can relate and go watch it if they want it's on Netflix there's a there's a docu-series called Blue Zones so it's about the five different areas around the world um, that has the most centurions I think that's how you say it people that live over to be a hundred or over a hundred. And it talks about the the diets that they have and in those areas. And I think, and she has a little cameo in there, which is cool, but just, yeah, the broader documentary just talks about diet and health and longevity. So I think I definitely recommend that. We'll absolutely add links to those in the show notes for everybody. So if you, I think, you know, we sort of touched upon this, but just to circle back, if you know, if you weren't doing this right now, what might you be doing? And you know, how does that compare to what you were thinking about yeah. as a child? Um, I think. I mean, I feel so lucky to be where I am in my career and um, to be working in in health and and helping helping people and um, and the planet into getting to a better place. One thing I would love to be doing more of and that I always wanted to do is in the educational side and helping kids learn more at a young age about, you know, eating healthier, living living a healthy lifestyle. One of my original proposals for my PhD was to do like a school lunch program as a part of it where you could teach kids really like what is where the food they're eating is coming from and how to how to connect with that. So yeah, so that's one thing I really still love to to get into. And if I could do that 
you know, alongside my current career, eventually get there as, as a, as a part of my career, that would be what I'd really want to do. Well, working with kids is always fun, isn't it? (laughs) Um, So we usually like to conclude with a question about with all your hard work, what is it that you like to do in order to re-energize yourself, refresh, regroup, whatever it may be? I love everything outdoors. (laughs) Um, My, I started that funny because I think my answer is basically what very few people would find fun. As you can tell with doing a PhD and also being an engineer at Cornell, I, you know, I like a challenge. So what for fun or what's fun for me is I've been running marathons lately, not lately, but you know, I got into marathon running and I, there's, you know, six marathons around the world. Also traveling, it's something I love to do that are called the world marathons. And I've done three of them so far. Wow. Um, yeah. In London, New York and Berlin. So I have three to go. And that's what, what I do to sort of get time to, for myself and, and um, relax. And yeah, also I love to hike and do anything else outdoors. As, as the spouse to a runner, I totally <laughs> get it, right? The runner. A runner's high is a real thing and it must be respected. <laughs> well, we're thankful to our supporters and partners too. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm really great support staff. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today, Ali. You've just given us so much information and wonderful things to think about, flexibility and curiosity within whatever it is you've got sitting in front of you. So we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Tracy and Krista. It was great talking with you. And thanks for for asking about all of my stuff. I was so excited to share. And I really hope it helps anyone who listens and any sophomores with some inspiration that they might need. Thank you for listening. If you are enjoying these conversations, please follow, rate, and review on your favorite platform. Join us for the next episode where we will be celebrating excellence and innovation among engineers whose impact contributes to a healthier, more equitable, and more sustainable world.